morning. Welcome to Randall Church. Would you stand with us as we sing this morning? Hi, how y'all doing out there? We got some blurry eyes this morning. Yeah, great night. But a better day right now, right? We're in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Randall Church. We're so glad you're here. My name is Pastor Brian. And again, if you're new here, we want to particularly welcome you. Welcome to Randall Church. There's a, a connection card in front of you. 
you take a minute to fill that out, uh, there are a couple boxes in the back, offering boxes. If you've got a gift uh, this morning, uh, or if you want to stick that connection card in there, that'll just let us know you're here. Uh, let us know ways we can help you find your place here at Randall Church. We want to help people find their place. We believe discipleship happens when we found our place in three areas. Upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. We want to help you do that. Or if you are just, uh, if you're, uh, just looking, if you've been here for a while and looking to plug in, we would love, love to help you do that. So just fill out that card, and like I said, you can stick them in the boxes in the back. Hey, we want to point out a few things that are going on. We had a great uh, first uh, morning of groups. We launched our groups today. Uh, we've got a couple that are going on. Uh, an ex- I'm, I'm leading an Exodus, Exodus one uh, across the way over there. A membership. There's a big membership group downstairs. Uh, there's also one on uh, deacon and the deacon uh, deaconship. Is that a word? Deaconship? I don't know. I made it a word. It's the deaconship area. So if you're interested in any of those, it is not too late. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. here. Uh, child care is provided. You can just drop them off like you usually do. We'd love to have you. It's not too late. Or if you can't make it to one of those, we want to get you in a group that meets midweek. So there's a lot of different options. Go to groups.randallchurch.org. Let us know what you're available for, and we promise we will get you in a group. So we hope you can do that as well. Uh, our derby uh, for Thursday night, our stock car derby event, is coming up here uh, on, in March. So now's the time to start building. We do this every year. It's an amazing event. Uh, uh, CSB, Christian Service Brigade, kind of hosts it and puts it on. But it's for everyone, uh, boys, girls, adults, seniors. Anyone can participate. Uh, So if you're interested, just see them in the back there. They'll get you a derby card. They'll get you all the dates uh, for that. But uh, it is a really great event. We hope everyone can be a part of that. And finally, uh, we are looking for people who want to be part of our production team. If you look in the back, everyone turn around, look in the back. These guys up in the balcony, they make us look good, and they need some help. They wanna, we want you to help us look good in production team. If you're interested in that, if you're a tech geek, or you're just good at doing slides and attention to detail, you want to be part of that team, Josh Wadvogel will be in the back today uh, after the service. He'd love to talk to you more about that and ways that you can plug in here. Like I said, we want to help you find your place here at Randall. Uh, welcome to Randall Church. We're so, so glad that you're here. Hey, once a month, we like to highlight one of our partners. Uh, when we find our place outward, one of the ways we do that is through partnerships. Uh, we want to see the gospel extend throughout the world, but we know we can't be everywhere. And so we partner with people who go and are present in places that we cannot be. So today we're looking at uh, uh, John and Katie Laravia, who are the directors of Campus to Campus, you see right there, Campus to Campus. And what they do is they train and raise up teams, city teams they call them, to plant churches in, in cities around the world. They currently have four uh, city teams uh, that have been trained up and had been going pre- prior to COVID. They had been getting in there and, and launching. They're about to launch a fifth one as well. I reached out to them and, and asked for an update, and this is, what, uh, this is what John had to say. He said, if you had asked me last year about where our city teams would be in the fall of 2021, I would have confidently said they will be overseas in their respected locations. Well, I would have been wrong, again. Uh, our Bangkok team, which is in China, uh, is the only campus-to-campus team to currently overseas, and the other three are still working through COVID restrictions and visa applications. But we hope to get going here soon. We are praying that these teams will be in their overseas locations by early spring. While they are waiting, the teams continue to serve with our U.S. partners in various uh, college campuses around here. We're also building a new team that will work in Mumbai, India, and are targeting a late 2022 start time. They're just doing some amazing stuff, raising up teams, planting churches. You know us. We love, we love church planting, and we love to partner with people who are planting throughout the world. Like I said, three of their teams are, are stateside right now, looking as best they can to get back over with another one they're launching here soon. So let's take a moment here. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for the Laravias. Uh, let's pray that their teams can get back uh, on the ground uh, and that more people will, become, uh, will come to know Christ through these new churches. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Laravias. We thank you for their work. We pray for campus to campus. God, as they are uh, raising up these teams and planting churches, God, we need more and more churches uh, so more and more people can know your name. God. So we pray for all the COVID restrictions. We pray for visa applications and everything that's preventing the teams from being able to get back over there. God, uh, we just pray that you will move uh, and get them there in your timing. And we thank you for our partners. We pray for them now. We pray that they might even right now experience your peace as they know uh, your church is praying for them. So we love you, God. In your name I pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Well, with that, let's stand. Let's say hi to someone around you. And kids, you are dismissed to King's Kids.
to you this morning. We praise you in these things. And in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. We remain standing for the reading of the word this morning. From Matthew 16, starting in verse 21, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Have you ever had a moment of great triumph followed up in the next moment of great failure? (laughs) At one moment you're at the top of the clouds and at the next moment you are down in the dumps. If you are a Bills fan like I am, you have spent the last 30 years riding this roller coaster. You climb to the top, click, 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 and then you come screaming down to earth. Well, friends, if you're watching online, if you're not from this area, or if you're watching in our sermon archive and you're coming back, today's a pretty big day because last night our Buffalo Bills took care of that Darth Vader. They took care of Bill Belichick and wasn't exactly looking for that response, but we'll, we'll go with that. So we have spent the last 30 years doing that, where we have ridden this, and now here we go, guys. Click, 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 click. Have you ever had a moment of great triumph, followed by a moment or moments of great failure? At one moment, you're at the top of the clouds, and at the next moment, you are in the dumps of despair. We're going to see today in our passage that we're going to be looking at today, this was the case for the Apostle Peter. We're going to see that Jesus had some harsh words for the Apostle Peter because the other apostles didn't understand, he didn't understand either what it meant to be with Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus is going to teach us about what it means for him to be the Messiah and what it means for us to follow him if we are going to call him the Messiah. Would you open up your Bibles this morning, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, as we learn what it means when Jesus says that he wants us to follow him. Today is the second sermon in our sermon series called To the Cross. We're making our way to the cross over the next few weeks to make it to Easter Sunday. It's going to be not too far away. And today's message title is just this, Follow Me. And so let's see what the Gospels have to say about this. As you turn there, Matthew chapter 16, I want to remind you of a 1980s movie that most of us can quote a number of phrases from. It's called The Princess Bride. Are you familiar with this movie? Again, I expect almost a round of applause when I just say the name of the movie. So in that movie, there's this chief bad guy, the bald man. His name is Vinzini. And he is this terrible short little man. And if you did not grow up in this time frame, he's also the voice behind the T-Rex in the Toy Story. So if you need to have that frame of reference, at least you know what I'm talking about. So as they are, they are going, the bad guys, they are being followed across this uh, lake or across the sea by the dread pirate. And so Pirate Roberts and the ship is gaining on them. And he keeps asking, why are you looking back? We're perfectly fine. There's no problem behind us. He says, I'm looking back to see if anyone was following us. And he said, well, there's no, there's no way that anyone could be following us. It would be what? 
Inconceivable, yes, it would be inconceivable, but yet there was a ship and it was following him through the fog. And then they come to a sheer cliff wall and there's one rope that is hanging down and they begin climbing the rope. They have uh, this giant is climbing the rope and he's pulling everybody up and he's climbing the rope and he's making good time and he looks back and he sees that there's someone climbing the rope behind him and he's gaining on us, it says. And he looks back and he says, that couldn't be possible. He's gaining on us. It's inconceivable, he says. They get to the top of the cliff face and they cut with their sword. They cut off the rope and the rope falls and they look over the side and said, he's climbing the cliff without a rope. No way. Couldn't be. Inconceivable. And just then, another actor in the movie, Inigo Montoya in the film, he turns and he says to him, you keep using that word. I don't think you know what it means. I don't think you know what it means. And I use that scene this morning because there's a lot of words that we use that I don't think we know what it means. Whether it's inconceivable or another word of your choice, it's because words, they change over time. They change their meaning over time. And so they can get lost. And in languages, they'll, they'll morph and they are change. It's fluid. It's dynamic. And so, for example, the word bad used to mean something bad was going to happen. And so many of you were talking about the game last night. You said, man, that was a bad game last night. And half of the room knows what I'm saying and the other half of the room is not quite sure what I mean uh, by that when I say that. Same thing with the word sick. If you said something was sick, it used to mean that that person was needing to go to the hospital. And if you say, oh, I'm sorry, can I bring you some medicine? Can I help you because you're sick? And say, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. He said, but you said that you were sick. On, on vacation this summer, I was staying at a, at a campground, and someone came up, and they saw we had hammocks hanging from the trees and stuff, and they really liked our campground, and they said, this campground is so ill. What? What are we talking about? And then she said, it is the illest. What on earth is she talking about? And we had to get on our phones after she left our campsite and go, oh, that means sick. The word has changed its meaning. It's something entirely different. And some of that comes, and you can be mad at it if you want. Some of it comes from social media. It's a change agent in itself. And so here's some examples that we're going to really get into today. The word like means something entirely different than it used to mean. It means that I used to like or I enjoy something. I like that. I like you. I enjoy that thing. But now it means something entirely different. In social media, when someone likes you or likes your thing, it means that I electronically acknowledge you is about the best that we can do with that. The word friend actually meant at one point it was a, it was a person that you knew, a person that you spent time with, you had a relationship with, you had mutual affection that was built in. But today, a friend is someone that you add to your friend list of contacts. And that's about it. So some of you have thousands of friends. Good for you. You don't know any of them. There's a time when the word follow meant that you walked behind someone, in step with them. They were your rabbi in biblical times. But now it means that you subscribe to them and what they are putting out there. Uh, it means that you get their electronic updates. The person may or may not follow you back, but you are following them. And maybe sometimes you like them, but you're not their friend. Are you confused yet? Some of you are tracking with me the whole way, and that's because you're weird, ultimately. You could get apps, and you can, you can get apps that will help you get followers, and they will help you find friends, and they will help you find friends who will like the things that you are following. And if you follow the things that they like, then you will get a group of friends, and all of you together can like the same things, and you'll create a group, you'll create a community. And that community all likes the same things, they subscribe to the same things, and they want to get their likes up because they are following one another. Are you, yeah, we've got a problem. <laughs> we've got a problem. Also in an 80 movie, 80s movie, Cool Hand Luke, what we have is a failure to communicate. There's a failure to communicate with the word follow. By the way, it is a hashtag on social media. The word follow, the hashtag follow me, I looked at it this morning, has over half a million, 675,000 follows are hashtagging today, right now, follow me. What are they talking about? 
you think you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are going to be likers of spiritual truth, then we need to get back to the original idea. Because if we don't, we're going to have a situation like this one. Check this out. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. Follow me. Here's how I see it. Jesus has a lot of fans. I don't think he has as many followers as you might think. Fans, yes. Followers, not so much. So I agree that you want to do this thing. You want to be able to pursue. You want to be able to follow. When Jesus says, follow me, don't you agree that you want to, you are going to follow Jesus? But if you're going to, don't you think you need to know what the terms of that relationship might be? Are you a follower or are you a fan? There's a book that I read about eight years ago by Kyle Eidelman, and I would like you to read it too if you'd like, because it has literally had a profound impact on my life. The, the, the title of the book is pretty straightforward. It's this, not a fan. Not a fan. Pretty straightforward. The dictionary, this says it on the back of the book cover. That's where I got this from. The dictionary says, you ever started your middle school uh, speech that way? The Webster Dictionary defines fan as this, an enthusiastic admirer. We live in a culture where it seems like everyone wants fans. Everybody wants admirers who will admire and they'll accept us. And it's not that being a fan is a bad thing. It's for Jesus, though, it's not enough. We can admire Jesus and still never follow him. You see, fans want to be close enough to Jesus to get all of the benefits, but not so close that it's going to require sacrifice. Fans would be fine with repeating a prayer, attending church on the weekends, or slapping a Jesus fish on the bumper of their car, but are they going to follow Jesus? What is the extent of that relationship? What does it really mean? You see, Jesus was never actually interested in having admirers. No, he's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. In last week's passage, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked those that were coming around him, his followers, his disciples, his apostles, he asked them this question. He said, who do people say that I am? And they responded with, with the word on the street, what people were talking about. They said that some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are John the Baptist, reincarnated. And others say that you are one of the prophets that has been foretold. But first things first, he says, and he turns and he looks at him, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds first. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. We all agree that that is a life-changing, life-altering statement. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That's what it means to me. And that is what it meant to Peter, but he had no idea what it would mean in the long run. And when Jesus begins to explain to Peter what he actually means by that, what it means to follow the Messiah, the Son of God, Peter has a negative reaction. And Jesus meets that negative reaction with an even more negative reaction. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21, here's what we read. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. I'm going to stop there for just a second. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things. From that time on, it says, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is believed to be written by the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector, as we learn about him. He spends the entirety of his gospel building three primary arguments that he wants us to know. That Jesus of Nazareth is Emmanuel, God with us. We cover that often in our Christmas story. We did this year as well, God with us. Matthew wants us to hear that loud and clear. Secondly, he wants to communicate that Jesus is the Messiah, meaning that he is in the kingly line of David. That's why the Gospel of Matthew opens with this lineage that ties him back to David, the king himself, that he is the king. But thirdly, he wants to be able to cover that Jesus of Nazareth is a wise teacher that has been foreshadowed by teachers like Moses and the life of men like Moses. And so we're going to read this again and again. You're going to see this from that time on. So Matthew, as he's writing this gospel, he gives us this on a number of occasions. Each time, you see, from that time on, Jesus follows that up and predicts his own death. 
And the disciples in each example react in a way that's less than becoming. They demonstrate their incomprehension. They cannot fathom what he is saying. And Jesus uses each of those illustrations just like Moses would to teach them the detail, to give them an understanding of what is going on. They were going to learn new things. So here we have it in Matthew 16. It happens, the second warning happens in Matthew 17. Again, telling him he's going to the cross. The third prediction is going to happen in Matthew chapter 20. And then the fourth prediction will be found in Matthew chapter 26. Each time he is teaching them something new, reminding them that he has to go to the cross. So let's read it again. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. They don't understand what's going on. They can't fathom. They can't connect the dots. They do not understand what is happening. Check this out, verse 22, Peter's response. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuke meaning push back, fight back. Tell him you need to to shut your mouth. You need to keep this down. And he says to him, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter here has remarkable levels of boldness. His boldness scale is going through the roof. He's confident enough to tell Jesus, the one that he just told everybody, he just realizes that this is the Son of God, and he's going to pull him aside and say, this will never happen. This will never happen to you. He did it privately, which demonstrated his love for Jesus. He did not say anything publicly or, or chastise him anyway. But he was confident enough that he was going to tell Jesus that he was wrong. And he was going to tell him he needed to reconsider his, his statement about going to Jerusalem to be killed. Peter was trying to give God counsel. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Have you ever given God counsel? We're told over in Romans chapter 11, verse 34, it says, Who knows the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Answer, me, me, I have been his counselor. Have you? What do I mean by that? Well, we tell the Lord what we think. God, I don't agree with what's happening here in this situation. So then we pray and we say, Lord, I've come up with a good plan for how things are going to go today. And I'm going to pray this good plan of how things are going to go today. And then when I get to the end of it, please bless this plan that I've made for the day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to save this person, and here's how I want you to do it. I'm going to invite them to church Sunday, and I want them to get saved this Sunday. I'm going to go on a mission trip, and I want you to save the person that I talk to as soon as I get off the plane. And this is how it's going to happen in Jesus' name. Bless me as I go. I just picked out this guy. I just picked out this girl. And I haven't prayed about it. I'm not entirely sure if they're even a believer, but I'm going to marry them. So please make it clear to them in Jesus' name that I am going to marry them. And then we start telling God what it is that we're going to do. That's effectively what Peter is doing here. So what does Jesus do in response? Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why would he say that? Because the devil was using Peter's good intentions. He didn't mean any harm. He was trying to protect Jesus. He is trying to protect him from being in harm's way. But ultimately, the devil is trying to use Peter to keep Jesus from going to the cross. He didn't make a deliberate choice that he was going to defy Christ and follow the enemy. It says here that he simply let his mind get ahead of himself. He let his mind settle on the things of man instead of focusing on the things of God. He let his mind settle on the things of man, the concerns of man, rather than the concerns of God. And Satan took advantage of it. So here's our point I want you to check this morning. Check yourself. Check yourself. There is no forgiveness without repentance. 
check yourself. There is no forgiveness without repentance. I'm teaching my daughter how to drive right now. That's exciting. When you come up to an intersection, what do we say? You come to a stop and you check your surroundings. We need to make sure that things are safe. When you go to the doctor, what do they do? They put the stethoscope on and they take it and they touch it to your chest. They say, I just want to check and see if you have a pulse. I want to see if you're doing okay. I just want to check. I want to make sure that you're doing all right. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Peter is in deeper water than he realizes. He is in way over his head and he doesn't even know it. Peter has assumed now that he knows what's best for Jesus. Peter has misinterpreted his own role as the lead apostle. Because he thought that what that means is as the lead apostle, I am the lead handler. Or I am the lead communications director for Jesus. That's my role as lead apostle. How foolish. You've just declared him to be the son of God, the Messiah who has come to change the world. And you're going to tell him what his communications plan is. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, it is Peter. It is Peter who jumps into action. He authorizes himself to use lethal force to protect Jesus from harm's way. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. When Jesus was arrested and there was a girl pointing at the apostles, pointing specifically at Peter, claiming that he was one of Jesus' followers, Peter denies that he even knows him at all. In fact, Peter would deny Jesus three times consistently, one after another after another, and then he takes off running. Turns out in these moments, Peter wasn't really a follower yet. No, Peter was a fan He was enthusiastically admiring Jesus. He was an over-the-top, face-painted, tattooed-out fan. He was a fanatic. He thought that Jesus was pretty hot stuff. But to him, suddenly, all in an instant, there, as Jesus is being arrested, he realizes that his Super Bowl-bound team has just Lost, And not only have they lost, they've been completely dismantled. And he thought that it had all been for naught. It was all broken. And he certainly wasn't going to risk his own neck and put his own life on the line by speaking up at the wrong time. So he just waged it all as a total loss. Flees, runs away. Check yourself. There is no forgiveness without repentance. If you know the story of Peter, you know that later Peter is restored there by the Sea of Galilee. We see this man who is what? Repentant of his sin. Repentant of his weakness. Repentant of his flaws in those moments and in every moment. Repentant of his own selfish ambition and his own selfish pride. And what does Jesus do in response to his repentance? Jesus offers him forgiveness. Jesus offers him restoration. What a truly beautiful picture. So you want to be a follower of Jesus. Step one, do your status check. Check your motives. Check yourself. Because there is no forgiveness without repentance. Let's continue on. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So you want to be a follower of Jesus? Check yourself because there's no forgiveness without repentance. Step two, deny yourself. There is no salvation without surrender. There is no salvation without surrender. Jesus says here, He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. This is not some special group. It is not a call to only the elite. It's not just the Navy SEALs of Christianity. No, he says, whoever would want to follow me. Whoever would want to follow me. They must. Let them come after me. Deny themselves. 
Now the word deny actually is the word for disown. When we read about Peter there when Jesus is arrested, when Jesus is on trial, we find out that Peter does what? He denies Christ three times. He disowns him. It's the same word that is being used. Very strong to disown, to repudiate, or to separate yourself from someone else as he is there and he disowns Christ and then is later restored because of his repentance. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself. You need to repudiate, separate yourself from yourself. Notice how that's worded. He didn't say, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny your things. If you're going to follow me, you need to deny your actions or your behaviors. You need to stop talking to certain people or start talking to other people or even stop talking to yourself. No, he says you need to deny yourself. See, Jesus is not advocating giving up something. Oftentimes as we are headed towards Easter, we come to this season of Lent and we often participate in it as well. And we say we're going to give up something to remind us of all that Christ gave up for you and for me. But that's not really what this is about, of just giving up something for Lent. You're going to give something up for Lent. Good. I'm glad that you are. You're giving up this luxury, this this frill, this coffee, this chocolate, this meat. But that is not denying yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny you. In other words, reject any philosophy that comes out of your own mind. To reject a worldly philosophy of self-importance, of self-indulgence, of self-will, of self-fulfillment, of self-sufficiency. All the things that we love about being in America. Those are the things that we are to deny ourselves of. It's where you come to a point in your life where you say, you know what? It's not about me. And for most people, for most people in this room... For most people on this platform this morning, it is all about me. Deny yourself. There is no salvation without surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. It's almost like that hymn was trying to get something across. It's pretty clear what it was teaching. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be saved from your sin? Then you must surrender. You must deny yourself. Let's continue reading. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Check yourself. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Deny yourself. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Take up your cross cross because there is no life without death take up your cross there is no life without death you see as he is saying this Jesus knows the necessity of his death his own death and he didn't want anyone to try to stop him from fulfilling the father's will for him and for his life which is why he has such a harsh response for Peter because there is no life without death It was absolutely, completely, fully necessary for Jesus to be arrested, for Jesus to be sentenced to death, for Jesus to suffer death on the cross, for Jesus to be buried, for Jesus to be risen again on the third day and ascend back into heaven. All of those things were necessary for him to bring relationship for man, humankind, with Heavenly Father God. Listen, church, if this hadn't happened then we would all still be lost in our sins. Jesus knew this and he stayed faithful. He made absolutely sure because there is no life without death. So Jesus takes this whole discussion about life and about death even further. We learn that it's not only necessary for Jesus to die, but it's necessary for us to die as well. It's not just the special forces of Christianity. Let me say that again. No, it is whoever would follow after me. It is for anyone who would follow Jesus. Anyone who would follow after me. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You need to put yourself in first century Christianity when it says to take up your cross. 
As they are hearing this, the cross is, it is specifically an instrument of torture. Like today, we use a cross entirely different. One of my favorite songs as a kid growing up was a Michael W. Smith song. And there's this part of the song that says this, cross of gold. Why do I wear this cross of gold? Some wear it around their neck because they want to do this. Some do it for this. But I think it means a whole lot more than that to me. Well, that's good. But the cross did not mean that at all to the listeners that first heard this spoke to them. In the first century, it's nothing like that. This is an instrument of torture, an instrument of death. The most vile of criminals would hang on the cross. And he is telling you to take up your cross? Jesus is talking about real sacrifice here. He says that if someone is going to follow him, then they must be willing to take up their cross and follow him. Real sacrifice. The people of that day would know exactly what Jesus meant. Roman execution by death on the cross was very common in that day. And so if he says, carry your cross, they knew what he was talking about. They saw it happen in their neighborhood. They saw it happen in their streets day after day after day. To pick up your cross, put it on your shoulder, and drag it, carry it to your own execution. That's what this meant. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, they knew that he meant you must be willing to die, to lay your life down for me, to follow me, is what he was saying. I don't think we grasp the seriousness of this calling. We don't understand what this sacrifice means. You see, some of us aren't even willing to stop gossiping in order to follow Jesus. Some of us are not willing to sacrifice our finances or sacrifice our time to follow Jesus. Some of us aren't willing to give up our alcoholism. Some of us aren't willing to give up our pornography. Some of us aren't willing to give up our own pride to follow Jesus. Some of us aren't willing to give up or to stop hating people of different political parties or to stop hating people of a different race, or to stop hating people who are immigrants, or stop hating people who are in your own family, who stop hating people who are in the church family in order to follow Jesus. Some of us aren't willing to walk across the street to break through a barrier of comfort, to fight through the anxiety of doing so, to walk across the street, to love your neighbors in order to follow Jesus. Now Jesus is talking about actual, real sacrifice. This is serious business. And many of us have no idea what it really means to follow Jesus because we really have no idea what sacrifice means in order to follow him. Why? Because we are really just great fans of Jesus. We're really good We're really strong, enthusiastic supporters, admirers, fans of Jesus. But do you want to follow him? Let's continue reading. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You better check yourself. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Deny yourself. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Take up your cross. There is no life without death. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Follow Jesus. There is no believing without following. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm just not interested in following him. Really. When he says follow me. He means something entirely different. Are you a fan? Are you a follower of Jesus? You cannot say that you believe in him without actually following him. You can't say you want to make Jesus on Sunday a part of your life, but then when you get home from church, you put him up on the shelf. You put your Bible up on the shelf. You put everything away on the shelf until next Sunday. That's not following Jesus. Fans can be fickle. Followers will be faithful. Fans can be fickle. Followers will be loyal. Followers will embrace sacrifice. Followers will embrace devotion as part of their lives. Come good, come bad, they will follow it. Are you ready to make him an everyday, every moment, 
every moment by moment, part of your life. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Which begs to ask the question, well, where is it that you're going, Jesus? Where is it that you're going? Because you're asking an awful lot of me. If I'm going to follow you, where is it that you're going? And that's kind of the point. It doesn't matter where he's going. It makes no difference whatsoever. Wherever he leads, you are to follow. So, but I just want you, I, I understand. I'm, I'm down with that. I just want, but just, why don't you just let me know where I'm going. And then I'll follow you. No, no, no. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In doing so, you are trusting God to lead your life. You're trusting God to guide your life. There's no questions to be asked here. He says, will you follow me? This is the laying down of your life to follow Jesus. Are you ready for that? As the band comes forward this morning, we'll sing a song in just a moment that talks about how deep the love is of Christ. What he has done for each and every one of us. So that this moment that we're sharing this morning can happen. He had to die so that you and I might live. But we are being called to die to ourselves. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, he says. Are you ready to do that? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us to live. But this morning, it is a, it is a challenge that is looking us straight in the face. Jesus, when you looked at Peter... And you say, get behind me, Satan. Because you have an agenda that's different than mine. Lord, let that be the attitude this morning that we are seeing from Scripture as well. We're being called to follow you, deny ourselves, take up the cross, nothing else. There is no other option. So Lord, we pray. As we see this again and again in Scripture, you say, come and follow me. We pray that you will now help us to do this daily. You say that we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. So today, right now, right now in prayer, we ask, Lord. We ask you to show us, teach us how. Our response is yes. Our yes is on the table. Jesus, we want to turn away from our sin. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been trying to fill that gospel-sized hole with all kinds of other things. Scripture teaches us that you will never fill that gap. You will always be running. You will always be chasing until it is Christ that fills that hole inside of your heart, inside of your spirit. And so God, help us to turn from our sin and all of its forms and all the ways we are tempted to pursue today and sin today. Help us to turn. Help us to repent. Not just from our sin, but from ourselves and trusting in ourselves, prioritizing ourselves, living for ourselves, trying to please ourselves, trying to exalt our own name, trying to look a certain way, trying to be known for a certain thing. We just turn that all into you today, Lord. Here as a church, we like to say we want to find our place. Lord, we want to find our place in you today. May we choose to follow you this day and every day going forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Like I said, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song about the deep, wonderful, powerful love of Jesus. But the question still remains, a question that you need to be able to answer this morning. Will you follow me? If the answer is yes, I want to celebrate that with you. You have a card that's there in the, in the, in the pew in front of you. You can, you can write, I just said, I said yes. That's all you have to write on. Write your name, phone number, somebody be able to contact I said yes. We'd love that opportunity to continue a dialogue with you, be able to talk with you, respond to you. You can drop that in the box in the back, hand it to me on your way out, hand it to any one of our staff. I said yes. I want to follow Jesus. Would you stand this morning? We're going to sing. We're going to lift our voices and sing about the wonderful love, the deep love of Jesus Christ.
with our hearts. Lord, lifting our voices to you, thanking you for who you are and what you've done. We leave this morning with celebration on our lips. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can remain standing. We're just going to read together a benediction prayer for us together, and then we'll be dismissed. Again, there'll be some things in the foyer on your way out, some of those kiosks for you to stop at. There's an information desk out there. Uh, there's cars out there if you want to make yourself a car for the derby, those type of things. We want to be able to help you participate in those things. But let this be our focus as we leave here this morning. Let's read together. Now him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Should I gain?